Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolias First. For more information, visit www.magnoliasfirst.org. Well, I'm so glad that you've joined us this morning for M1 Online Worship. Uh, You know, the past few weeks, I've begun each sermon with funny things in the middle of a pandemic, and I've got a couple more for you today. Uh, The first one was a Facebook post that I saw, and it said, announcement, in addition to mandatory mask wearing, with the continued closure of hair salons, mandatory hat wearing will also be enforced. Also, everyone is now unrecognizable, so mandatory name tag wearing is in effect. Well, I don't really get all the big deal about the hair. I mean, my hair is done just fine during the pandemic. Well, I I like this one. With everybody scrambling to find masks, uh, there's this cartoon one of our guys sent me of two of my favorite childhood characters, the Lone Ranger and Tonto. And Tonto is pointing at the Lone Ranger saying, Kimasabi, where do you get that mask? Well, I'm excited that this week we have begun to stream all three of our worship styles. Uh, You may be watching Traditions or Encounter or Resonate, but in all three, I'm glad to share the message that God's put on my heart as we continue this series, Lifeline, How to Grab God's Hand When You're Going Under. And today we will look at one of the most powerful stories in the Bible, the story of Abraham and Isaac from Genesis chapter 22. So if you have your Bible, would you open it to that very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis chapter 22, and our message is entitled, Trust. As we think about the the title of our sermon series, How to Grab God's Hand When You're Going Under, here's the big idea for today that I want to unpack. We can't grab God's hand if we're holding on to an idol. So let's see our story today from Genesis chapter 22. We'll begin with verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Well, as chapter 22 opens, we we are kind of jumping into the middle of Abraham's life narrative. And let me give you a little bit of the relevant background. At this point in the story, Abraham and his wife Sarah are very old. And for many decades, Sarah was barren, that is, unable to have a child, which carried a great stigma in ancient culture. And they waited and they prayed and they longed for God to give them a child, especially a son that could carry on the family name and generations. And finally, finally, God blessed them with a son and they named him Isaac. And from his birth, Abraham treasured the boy. So pick it up again with verse 2, as God speaks a surprising message to Abraham. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah, 
Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will show you. Now we know this story so well, but as Isaac heard this message from heaven, from the God that he loved and served, it came as a seismic shock to his heart. As he heard it, surely he he must have in his heart and mind responded, what? What do you mean, my son? You could ask me for my right arm and that would be so much easier. He is the greatest treasure of my life, Abraham must have thought. How, oh God, could you ask for him? And the lesson that God was teaching Abraham that's still relevant for us today, all these generations and centuries later, is this. We can't fully trust God if we are holding on to something or someone more tightly than we're holding on to him. The question that Abraham would never have wanted to answer. The choice that Abraham would never have wanted to make would be God or my son. My son or God. And yet that question cuts to the heart, not just in Abraham's life, but in ours. Is there anything or anyone that I treasure more, that I trust more than I do my Lord. Some of you would recognize the name of the late Corey Ten Boom. If you know her story, and there was both a book and a movie of her story called The Hiding Place. And in Nazi Germany, Corey and her family would hide, would give refuge to Jewish people because the Nazis were hunting them down to assassinate them. And yet they would give them a place of safety in their home and and they were discovered. And Corey and her sister Betsy were taken away to a Nazi death camp where indeed Corey's sister Betsy died. Corey survived the death camp and she went on to become one of the most powerful and profound voices for evangelical Christianity in the 70s and in the 80s. And of the many things that she said that impacted my heart were these words, and I quote her, hold everything in your hands lightly. Otherwise, it hurts when God pries your fingers open. Why would God Take Isaac from Abraham. Why would God take something from us to test him, to test us, to see what our heart treasures, to see what we're trusting in more than him? And we may not even know until that test comes. You know the Old Testament story of Job. And I'll remind you that Job in ancient times was a very wealthy man. He had many possessions and and herds and lands and, and all of the things that a person in his generation could have ever wanted materially. He had a large and wonderful family. He was strong and vital and healthy. 
And God allowed all of those things to be taken from him. He lost all of his possessions and virtually all of his family. And his health was taken to the point that he was at the the edge of death. And yet Job said, even if God kills me, I will trust him. I will trust him. And the powerful lesson for us is that if something or someone has become more important to us than God, it or they have become an idol. An idol. We think of an idol as as something made out of gold or stone or or some inanimate object that uh, are worshipped by ignorant people in other cultures and, and in other times. But in reality, in our sophisticated age, an idol can be anything or anyone. And don't misunderstand, to be blessed by God with good gifts is not wrong. In fact, it's a, it's a blessing. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift, the book of James says. And like those of you who have grown up in the church as I did, you'll remember an old hymn we used to sing, and the chorus says, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your many blessings, see what God has done. Those things are blessings. And yet, though all of us have been so blessed, we need to understand that God has given us so many good gifts, but he never intended for any of them to become an idol in our lives. In my observation, there are at least four categories of things that can so easily, unintentionally, and even we could be unaware, they could become idols in our lives. Our possessions Uh, Those of us who live in this day and age, most of us have been blessed with comfortable homes, many of us beautiful homes. Uh, We have vehicles to get from place to place, and don't we have a lot of stuff? I, I mean, most of us, we filled our garages and we filled our attics, and some of us have even rented storage because we've got so much stuff. And that's not bad. Things, possessions can make our lives more comfortable and more enjoyable, and they're not evil in and of themselves. But when those possessions become too important, they can become an idol. Well, not only our possessions, our plans can become an idol. Things we want to do. Uh, how we want our lives to unfold, how we want to, to see things progress in our lives. And it's not wrong to make plans, but the book of James says that when we leave God out of our plans, when we presume upon God, when our plans become more important than the, the will and the plan of God, our plans have become an idol. Well, and then our pride. Our pride can so easily become silently way too important. 
when we get to the point that we cannot be wrong. We have to win every argument. We always have to have our way to come out on top. Or when we're just unwilling to say, I'm sorry, when we've offended or hurt someone. Or we're so afraid of the appearance of weakness or failure that we just can't allow ourselves to be seen in any way that makes us feel less than. When those things begin to take hold of our hearts, our pride has become an idol. And even people, people, relationships in our lives, and we're blessed to have family, we're blessed to have friends, we're blessed to have a church family, and we miss all of you so much. You are such a delight to us. And our relationships are a gift from God. But like Isaac to Abraham, those relationships, even of the people that we love in a godly way, they can become more important to us than God. And even the people that are a blessing to us can become an idol. Isaac could have so easily become an idol to Abraham. Abraham could have said, you may have given to him to me, God, but he's mine now. Keep your hands off of him. But he didn't. Brokenhearted, Abraham obeyed God. Look at verse 3. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son, Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire, for a burnt offering, and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. Did you catch that? We will come right back. Some scholars and commentators have said that they believe that Abraham was, was being a little secretive, a little deceptive here, not to tell the servants or Isaac what God had asked him to do. I don't think that was it at all. I believe that Abraham had confidence that somehow, some way, despite what God had told him to do, that God would not take his son. At this point, he doesn't know how it could be possible, but he remembers the time that God promised him, Abraham, you will be the father of many generations with many descendants over the years to come. And that could not be possible without Isaac. And though he was confused and bewildered and brokenhearted, I think somehow he believed that God could not, would not break his promise. And so he goes on. Verse 6. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders 
while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Isaac is a a smart young man. He, he looks around and he sees there's something missing here. There's, there's no animal to be killed and, and burned. There's only you and me. Uh, Dad, how's this going to work? Verse 8. God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. I don't know, son, but we're going to trust in God. He will provide what we need when we need it. And some of you are right there. Some of you are walking up that mountain right now and you're wondering, how is this going to work? How is what I need going to be there when I need it? And the, the Lord is saying to you through the story of Abraham and Isaac, God will provide what you need when you need it. You can't see it. You can't understand it. You don't know how it could be possible. But your faithful God will provide for you. So just keep walking and keep trusting. Resume the narrative with verse 9. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied up his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. We cannot overestimate the drama and the emotion that filled those moments. And how I wish we had a recording of the conversation between Abraham and his son as they were building the altar. And Isaac is wondering how this is going to happen. And somehow Abraham begins to explain to his son that God had asked him to make Isaac the sacrifice, his son to be the sacrifice. And Abraham explains to him, son, I don't understand, but we will obey God. We will trust in God. And when that moment came, when he said to his beloved son, it's time, my son, crawl up on that altar so that I might tie you there. And in that moment, I believe they embraced and they cried and they obeyed and trusted God. 
And as Abraham tied his son in the way that every animal is tied to an altar to make a sacrifice under their covenant, we see then, verse 10, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. This, this is such a powerful story. This is such a difficult story for us to, to grasp, to, to wrap our minds around it. But here is what we must know. Sometimes we can only know if something is an idol when its presence in our life is threatened. You may not think your possessions are an idol. You may not believe your pride is an idol. You may not believe your plans are an idol. You may not believe the people in your life are an idol. But we don't really know unless life threatens to take them away from us. Abraham could have stopped in that moment and said, wait, stop, I am not doing this, this is not right, this is not fair, God explain this to me. What is this about? How could you ask me to do this? Abraham could have done that, I perhaps would have done that, you might have done that, but Abraham didn't. Right down to the last second. He trusted in God and he obeyed him, even though he didn't understand. Then don't miss the first three words of verse 11. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, and I just, I just can imagine how the tears were flowing as he responds. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way. Now look, here's the, the center of the message today. For now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. This was a test, Abraham. This was a test to see if anything or anyone was more precious to your heart than me. And you have proved there is nothing, there is no one ahead of me to your heart, not even your own son. And then the postscript to the story in verses 13 and 14. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb on the mountain of the Lord, 
it will be provided. And what is so powerful about this story, that very near that place, that location, very close proximity is the the hill upon which the Son of God died for us. Golgotha, Calvary, where the Son of the living God was not spared, but he became the sacrifice. He shed his blood. He gave his life so that you and I could put our faith in him and his finished work for us, and we could be redeemed. We could be forgiven We could be adopted into the family of the Most High God. We could have our eternal destiny secured, not by our merit, but by his grace. The Son of God became the once-for-all sacrifice. And all of those symbolic sacrifices that had been made on the altars, all of those innocent animals that had been sacrificed for the atonement of sin, all of those were just a a reflection, an image, a symbol of the once-for-all sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus, our Savior. You see, our God is not a taking God. He's a giving God. He never wanted the death of Abraham's son. He wanted the unrivaled devotion of Abraham's heart. And so with us, God does not want to take things from us. He only wants our heart to be fully his Some of you are on that mountaintop sacrifice experience right now. Now, God likely won't ask you for your son or your daughter, though he could. But he is giving you a test. He's asking you for something that perhaps could be an idol in your life, and he's wanting to see if you will trust him, if you will obey him, even when you don't understand. Once again, I quote Corey Ten Boom. I love this. She said, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Two next step challenges, and then I'm done. Number one, I challenge you. Ask yourself if there is something in your life that if God asked you to give it to him, that you would clench it and say, no. It's an idol. And so I challenge you with this second Ask God to give you Abraham-like faith that would enable you to trust him even if you don't understand what is happening in your life. Is there anything keeping you from trusting fully in God even if you're walking into the unknown? If so, 
It just may be an idol. And we can't grab God's hand if we're holding on to an idol. Let me pray for you. Oh, Heavenly Father, help us to search our hearts, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, to see if there are any idols hiding in the inner recesses of our hearts, that if you were to ask us for something or someone in our lives, that we would say that thing or those people or that person are more important than you, that we trust in them more than you, that we want them more than you, then, Lord, show us and help us to have faith like Abraham, to know that you are the God that provides. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.